0: Amen. So did you have a Merry, Merry Christmas? Was your Yuletide bright? Yeah, bring on that bright Yuletide, y'all. All right. Hey, hey, hey we're in this series, uh, uh, an, an important series, one we've been in since the first of November, uh, finding freedom in a world that seeks to, to bind you. I, I understand there are many things in our world that seek to enslave us, that that seek to be our master to, to be the boss of our lives, to be the boss of your emotions, to be the master and boss of your joy, of your hope, of your confidence, of your, of your peace. And so what we've done this series is, is we've looked at some truths of God and uh, truths that will set us free if we hold on to them, if we do these truths, if we live out these truths, they will keep us from being enslaved. And being held captive by such things as fear and worry and anger and circumstances and hurt and yourself and stuff. Truths that will enable you, like that whole goal, right, is just for you and I to be able to look at those things and fear and worry and anger and stuff and circumstances and hurt and say, you are not my master, you are not the boss of my life, not anymore. That's what God wants to do. We look at God's truth and we hold on to those truths. We really are his disciples, and his truths will set us free. Last Sunday, we took a dive into the Christmas story. As we did, Joseph, Mary, and the shepherds, they showed you and I how to be how to be free from comparison. The question: Has comparison ever been an issue in your life? Uh, we said that comparison is a, is a major problem because there is There's no win in comparison. You never win. Um, It's the wrong point of reference, and it can often lead to tragic consequences. Just check out King Saul in the Old Testament. And we also said that it's a major problem because it is chasing after the win. There's no finish line. There's no end to it. And you'll just wear yourself out and beat yourself down if you keep on comparing. Remember, You will never experience God's purposes for your life while distracted by God's purposes for someone else's life. And that is so true. And we can so easily be distracted. And last week we said that we just can't just say no to comparison. We have to say yes to pursuing godly significance. And we saw that godly significance lived out in the lives of Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. Because godly significance, it's all about the heart. A man looks at the outward appearance and God looks at God looks at the heart. And the kind of heart that has significance to God is a heart like Joseph that is faithful even when, right? Even when it, things don't make sense. Even when things don't add up. Even when the dots don't collect, right? And, and a significant heart is also a, a faithful heart like Mary's heart that says, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said. God, I'll serve you anytime, any way, any place, all the time. And then a, a heart that is significant to God is a faithful heart that is passionate about both seeing and sharing Jesus, like the shepherds, right? They had to see Jesus, but it wasn't enough just to see Jesus. They had to share Jesus, and those who heard what the shepherds had seen went away amazed. Now, do you you think that Joseph marrying the shepherds, would would you say that they lived significant lives? I think we say, yeah, we, we would, right? On this side of the story. But do you think that the world they lived in thought they were significant? I mean, the day after Christmas, where were the shepherds? What were they doing? They were back in their fields, right? And they were still lowly shepherds. So the world looked at them and maybe didn't think they were significant at all. The only reason that we know they're significant is because God said they were. And the point that I'm trying to make is is that true significance has nothing to do with what the world sees or what the world thinks about you. You know, you, you, you may, like, I think the shepherds got to heaven, like, Are you kidding me? Like, we're in the gospel story? Like, people have been reading about us for thousands of years? We didn't know we were that significant, right? And that's going to be our story, right? Don't worry about being significant here. Worry about a kind of significance that is measured in God's economy. Get it? Good. Finding freedom from fear, worry, anger, stuff, yourself, circumstances, hurt, and compassion. That is where we've been so far. And today the last Sunday of the year 2020, and who is ready to see 2020 in the rear view mirror? Goodbye, 2020, don't like you, get out of here, done with you, right? Um, Next week, by the way, we're going to have a message called Finding Freedom from the Past. And and basically, I'm not sure what I'm going to talk about necessarily, but the key point is, hey, let's make sure that our own personal 2021 is a go one. And it's a whole lot better than 2020. We're not going to let the past determine our future. And this morning, the last Sunday of the year, uh, 2020, we're going to talk about finding freedom from our sin and our mistakes. Got any? You know, this week I was thinking about how much our world just really loves to celebrate Christmas. Right? They love it. And after all, why not? It's the most wonderful time of the year, with the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you, be of good cheer, it's the most wonderful time of the year. I've been practicing. <laughs> all right. And some people go out celebrating Christmas really, really hard, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. However, a thought hit me this week, and that usually happens when I'm working on a message. Thoughts keep hitting me, and here's the thought. If we did not sin and make mistakes, or if God was not a God of grace, there'd be no Christmas. I mean, can you imagine a world without Christmas? Can you imagine a December without decorated homes, lights shining on everyone's lawns, giving and receiving gifts, candy canes, Christmas trees? Your favorite Christmas songs and movies. Can you imagine a December without fruitcake? All right, that'd be so difficult. Right. <laughs> Better yet, can you imagine a world without Jesus, without Christ? I, I don't think I'd want to live in that world. And, and you know, a, a a very a very sobering, depressing thought kept poking me this entire Christmas season about how tragic it is to see so many people you know, decorating their homes and buying presents and putting up trees in their houses, to, see, to know that so many people are celebrating Christmas without any real deep, meaningful thought, regard, worship, or appreciation of Jesus. I mean I would drive by, I know it's depressing, but it's true and it should motivate us, right? I see house decorated, I'm just like, wow, do they do they know Jesus? Do they love Jesus? How sad. I mean their house looks beautiful. I mean they you know, they want up three stories on that stepladder just to hang those lights, but without Jesus, what does it really mean? And listen, I have nothing against Santa, reindeer, Frosty the snowman, Rudolph, elves. Even the ones that are found on shelves, right? Our Christmas trees, lights, stockings, presents, parties. Nevertheless, God's Son putting on flesh 2,000 years ago to save mankind from their sins is the reason for Christmas, is the reason for the season, is the reason for the celebration. Amen? In fact, the word mas means a celebration. And the word Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that God's people were waiting to come. So maybe instead of saying happy holidays or even Merry Christmas, maybe we should say have a merry time celebrating Christ, right? Try that. See how it goes, right? Have a merry time celebrating the Christ. See, 2,000 years ago, God the Son put on flesh and was born in a manger for one primary reason. That brings salvation. And therefore, it should not surprise us that we see front and center stage in the Christmas story, all kinds of talk about salvation. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Joshua. That means God has salvation or God saves. So what the angel is telling him, I want you to name your son God saves because he will save. He will save God's people from their sins and from their mistakes. And when the angels lit up that night sky before those shepherds, they gave a message of salvation. Do not be afraid. i bring you good news that will be cause great joy for all the people. And that word great is the word mega. He's saying, hey, something's about to happen. There's some news that's going to cause mega joy for all people. I mean, could you use some mega joy in your 2020? It's been a rough year. But you know what? In, in that first century... It had been 900 rough years for God's people. And they really were waiting for some mega joy of good news. And so what is this good news that should cause them, even living in the midst of an occupied nation, to have mega joy? Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And listen, this message of salvation was not just proclaimed by the angels. Uh, it, we see it throughout the Christmas story, like in Luke chapter 1, where Zechariah, you know, John the Baptist's dad, he didn't believe God, so for nine months he hadn't said a word. And then after his son is born, Holy Spirit opens his mouth and he proclaims a message, and guess what was the focal point of that message he proclaimed as he held his son in his arms? It was a message of salvation. He actually uses the word three times, along with the words such as deliver and rescue and redemption. Here's how he wraps up the message. This is, I mean, here's this guy holding his son. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. And you'll go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. You'll prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And listen, we also see this message of salvation 40 days later when Mary and Joseph take their son to the temple And there they meet a guy named Simeon, an old guy who had been waiting for a long time, his entire life, for the Messiah to come. He's at the temple, and he sees Jesus come with Mary. He sees the blue blanket, and, and he takes hold of the baby, and he praises God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. He's holding Jesus, 40 days old, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which he prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Understand salvation, you and I, mankind, finding freedom from their sin and mistakes, is the reason for Christmas. And here's how I want to attack our conversation. And I personally think God is pretty excited we're talking about it, right? Right? That we're talking about the meaning that He sent His Son to this earth, and the way I want to talk about attack this conversation, I just want to unpack two statements: Um, We've all sinned and make mistakes. We're all saved by grace through faith. So, sin and mistakes. You got any? I don't even need you to answer that. I know the answer. You see, ever since the garden when Adam and Eve sunk their teeth into that forbidden fruit, mankind has been sinning. And how did God respond to their sin and rebellion? With his grace. Promising that one day, through the, through the seed of a woman, that his Messiah would come and crush the serpent, crush the evil one. And from that point on, from Genesis 3, chapter 15, all the way through Revelation... We see a God who is unrelenting about pouring out his grace and mercy on messed up people. You know, Hebrews 11 is sometimes called the Hall of Faith, right? It is the Canton, Ohio, NFL. It is the Cooperstown, New York, Major League Baseball of the Bible. But if you, you know what? If you look closely at the people that are listed there, you'll find that they are not just faithful people they are mistakeful people they are people who made a lot of mistakes none of them were perfect which is why if we are ever going to understand salvation and the concept of grace we must understand our need for it our need for grace our need for a savior you see you can't talk about grace without talking about sin uh, some people try to do that. I don't know how you can, but they try. But, like, I, I don't know how you can appreciate salvation or really embrace grace without understanding sin. I, I don't know how, how, you, how we can talk about Jesus being our Savior and have that mean anything unless we talk about what he saved us from, unless we talk about sin. I, I like what Max L- Lakeda, writes in his book, grace more than we deserve, greater than we imagine. He writes this, all ships that land at the shore of grace weigh anchor from the port of sin. We must start where God starts. We won't appreciate what God does until we understand who we are. We are rebels. We deserve to die. We are incarcerated by our past, our low road choices and our high-minded pride we have been found guilty we won't i love that line there we won't appreciate what grace does until we understand who we are we are sinners we are rebels we deserve to die you see the bible whenever it talks about grace almost all the time it's it's with the backdrop of sin and there's a reason for that. Here's an illustration. Have you ever gone to a jewelry store to look at a diamond, right? Uh, what kind of backdrop do they use when they have you look at that diamond? They have you look at what? Black, right? Why? Because they want you to see the, the brilliance of the sparkling gem that is now laid out before you, right? They, look, they just want to make that shine. Well, it's the same way with God's grace. It's always at the backdrop of sin so that you and I, see, it's only against the backdrop of sin that you, can, you and I can see the brilliance of the sparkling gem of grace that's been laid out before us. Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 21, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We were made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. He writes in 23, for everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yeah. Who has sinned? Everyone. Who has fallen short of God's glorious standard, which is perfect holiness? We all have. Turn to the person next to you and say, hey, God's talking about you. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. Now, now let me tell you what we tend to do with our sin. We, when we think of our sin... I read a verse like that. We're like, sure, yeah. Yeah, I know I've sinned, but I haven't sinned sinned, right? I mean, I'm I'm a good person. You see, we we compare ourselves to other people. Well, I've sinned, yeah, but I mean, have you seen what some people are doing? Have you watched the reality shows? Have you been on Instagram lately? Or, you know, I mean, I'm doing pretty good. Actually, I'm doing really good, and so... We just kind of dismiss and minimize our sin by comparing ourselves to other people. You ever do that? Are you thinking that way right now? Well, I'm not as bad as them. i sure you may sin and make mistakes, but sometimes you, when you do that, you don't feel like you really need God's grace. See, I think there's a lot of good people out there that you know and I know, and maybe you had dinner with recently, who are good people and don't realize they need God's grace, don't realize they need a Savior, don't realize that they're lost. Tragic. Everyone has fallen short of God's glorious standard. And sometimes when the Bible talks about sin, it talks about sin as if it was a sickness, like a virus that we have. That's why God said through Isaiah in Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we were healed. We were cured from this sickness, from this virus of sin. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity iniquity of us all. So sin is a sickness that we, like all sheep, have been affected, infected with. And grace is the cure, grace is the antidote. But here's the problem. Grace and salvation mean nothing to people who don't recognize their own sickness. Do you ever have trouble admitting you're sick? You know, you know I'm fine. Anybody like that, right? Like They look like death warmed over. Hey, I'm good, I'm fine. I'm feeling fine, I'm good, I'm not sick. I remember years ago waking up, with a really bad pain right back here on a Sunday morning at 6.30. I said, man, that really hurts bad back there. And I took a shower. I said, man, this I'll be good. I'm good. I'm good. I wasn't good. You know, you know an hour later, I'm calling one of my elders like, dude, i got to go to the emergency room. I, I'm in serious pain. I had a kid, didn't know I had a kidney stone. right? I thought, hey, I can suck it up. I'm alone. I'm going to suck it up, right? I was in the Navy. You don't suck up a kidney stone, man. That sucker owned me, right? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't need grace. I don't need a Savior. So the Bible says that all of us is sin. That's our diagnosis, right? And that's my diagnosis. And then it gives us a prognosis in Romans 6.23. What a prognosis is, it's a likely outcome of a disease or ailment, right? Like, hey, if this disease progresses, this is where you're going to wind up, right? It's the prognosis. Again, we all have this infection called sin and left untreated, here's a prognosis in Romans 6, 23. It's death. The wages of sin is is death. Now death equals separation. And spiritual death is separation from God and all that is good Forever, in a place called hell. I want us to sit on that for a little bit. You know, a couple of days ago, we read Matthew chapter nine. You know, um, Matthew chapter nine verse thirty-eight is talking about how the harvest is plentiful, but the harvesters are few. Pray for harvesters. And you know, that day I decided I did it years ago and stopped doing it, which I shouldn't have. I set my alarm to go off every day at nine thirty-eight to remind myself and to stop whatever I'm doing and to pray. It doesn't have to be a long prayer, right? But the harvest is plentiful. There's so many lost people that we know. And the workers are few. I don't want anybody to wind up there, do you? And that's how the Bible discusses sin. It's this type of virus that is spread throughout the entire world. And not like COVID-19, which currently, there's 22 million people Infected worldwide, that's 0.0028%. 81 million have been infected, which is 0.0103%. Sin has infected all 7.8 billion people in the world, right? 100% infection rate for sin. Whole world. The Bible even talks about where it originated, You know, it it identifies the host carrier, identifies patient zero, if you will, in Romans chapter 12. When Adam's sin entered the world, Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Again, it started with Adam, but we didn't need Adam's sin because what? Everyone's sin, right? We, We all got our own sin, so everyone has this infection, everyone has death coming, Understand, in God's Word, we have been both diagnosed and prognosed. That's actually a word. I wasn't sure it was. thought I'd make one up found out I didn't. I was kind of upset about that, right? We've been diagnosed and prognosed, right? And then Paul introduces us to this word grace, God's ultimate sin therapeutic, if you will. See, we're told that there's an antidote. We're told that there's a treatment for this infection, this virus that we all carry. And that's some good news. Romans 5, verse 15 For the sin of one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Paul says, look, sin is great, but grace is greater. It's greater than our mistakes. It's greater than our sins. It's greater than our falls and our failures. Get it? Good. Okay. What do you feel like is your greatest sin? Like your biggest struggle, your worst mistake. Think about it. On account count of three, I want you to shout it out. One, No, just kidding. <laughs> All right, what's your greatest sin, right? It could be something happened last week. It could be something that's been nagging you for years. It could be that secret sin that no one knows about except you and God that haunts you and gnaws at you. Whatever it is. God wants to tell you just two days after Christmas that his grace is greater than your sin. It it doesn't matter what you put on this side of the equation. Grace is always greater than your sin. Whatever sin comes into your mind, whatever mistake you're thinking about, whatever thing you regret the most, whatever season of life you would most like to forget Whatever you're still struggling with, grace is greater than your sin. Amen? Amen? All right. Making sure you're here with me. I don't know if we're online or not. If we're online at home, say amen. Type type amen. Are we online? Hey, yo. Yo, I didn't know y'all was there. What's up? What's up, people? All right. And listen, when we really begin to understand the greatness of grace, it makes all the difference. It gives us freedom. It breaks off change. It throws off prison doors. And it gives us an enduring hope because grace is greater than our sin, our mistakes, our failures, and our falls. No matter what you've done, no matter how severe the infection, grace is greater than Paul continues in verse 16, and the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of the one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we're guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. It brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Grace covers our sin Our sin that was leading to death and gives us new life. Don't miss that. You can miss a lot, but don't miss that. Don't miss that God's grace is greater than your sin. And don't miss the truth that no matter how good, how kind, how decent man or woman you may be, you're still a sinner in need of grace, headed for death. Understand, it's only His grace that can and will cure us of our sin, make us right with God, and give us new life. And that's true for me, that's true for you, that's true for everyone listening online, that's true for everybody that we know. That's true for the most vile sinner that you can even think of Everyone sinned, but through jesus everyone can be made right with god and find new life merry christmas right this is amazing grace this is the meaning of christmas god's grace and salvation is the meaning of christmas is the purpose of christmas She will give birth to a son, and you'll give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people, even people who for 900 years have had a hard time and are still having a hard time. Why? Because today in the town of Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, Christ the Lord. We've all sinned and made mistakes, and we are all saved by grace through faith. See, the Bible teaches that we're saved by grace, that this gift of salvation, eternal life, that it cannot be earned or deserved, right? That we can never be good enough, right? It's not something we achieve or strive for. It's unearned. It's unmerited. It's undeserved favor. It's a gift. It's by grace, And Paul, after reminding the believers in Ephesians chapter 4, he throws out the backdrop of sin saying, you know what? At one time you were dead in your sins and and you were objects of God's wrath. That's the backdrop. But then then he reaches under the counter and he pulls out the diamond of God's grace. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even while we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. And down to verse 8, For it's grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We're saved by grace, it's a gift. We're saved by grace through what? Through faith. The Bible teaches that The only way we receive this gift is through faith. And throughout the New Testament, we we see the Bible describe for us the faith that saves. It gives the details. Question, do details matter? Are details important? Like if you put the, the wrong key in your car ignition, will your car start? No. Having the right key is essential. If you type in the wrong password to your phone or to your laptop, will they open up? No. Putting in the right password is essential, right? If you leave out an ingredient of something that you're baking, will what you're baking turn out the same? No, right? Having the right ingredients is essential, right? Details matter; they're important. In cooking, starting your car, typing in a password, and In the Bible, we see that details matter to God. Um, When God told Noah to build an ark to save his family, Noah followed those details and his family was saved. When Joshua and the Israelites crossed the Jordan to conquer the promised land, God gave details of how they were to take that first city, right? March around the city one time for six days. On the seventh day, walk around seven times and blow your trumpet, right? And guess what? They followed those details and they took the city. However, the very next city, guess what? They didn't win that battle. And the reason they didn't win the battle in Ai was because what? God gave them details, and guess what they didn't do? They didn't follow those those details, and they lost the battle. When Nahum, the Assyrian general, came to the prophet Elisha to be cured of his leprosy, he was told to dip in the Jordan River seven times. Right? He went to the Jordan River, Fussed about it a little bit at first, but finally went. Because he said, wait, I got cleaner water in Euphrates. It's cleaner than this. Why should I dip in that little stupid water? Fortunately, it was a servant girl that said, hey, look, if if Elijah told you something great, you'd done it, why don't you just do this simple thing? And so he went, goes into Jordan, dips once, still has it. Twice, three, four, five, six, still has it. Goes down the seventh time, guess what? It was gone, right? Because he followed the details. Okay, well, in the Bible, God gives details of a faith that saves. And, and again, I think God is really excited. We're talking about this. We're talking about salvation. We're talking about how to receive this gift, that the whole reason for Christmas. Um, and, and, uh, and, and see, the, we're saved by grace. Grace is the gift. Faith is kind of opening the gift. Like if you got a gift, right, and you unwrapped it. And you say, wow, this is awesome. Would you say, well, it's not a gift. I, I unwrapped it. <laughs> it's no longer a gift. I, I, I earned that gift by unwrapping it. You wouldn't say that, right? It's kind of silly, right? You just unwrapped it. Well, faith is kind of like the unwrapping of this gift that God has already put under our tree. And so saving faith responds by believing, right? By believing. You know, John three sixteen through 18, right? You know, saving faith believes God's word. What God's word says about his love, his plan, his mercy, his grace, his person, right? It's got to believe that. It believes what God's word says about our sin, that the wages of sin is death and that we all have sinned. And then it's got to believe what God's word says about Jesus, who Jesus is, God the Son, what Jesus did, died on the cross to pay for the sins of mankind. we got to believe that, right? But believing that's not enough, right? James says even the demons believe and shudder. So saving faith we unwrap also responds in repentance. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And what is repentance? Well, it's a whole lot more than just being sorry for your sins, all right? Repentance is about hanging a U-turn. It's about taking a 180. It's about Repentance means laying down your agenda for living, and picking up God's. It's saying, God, you know, I've been the Lord. I've been the boss of my life for far too long. It hasn't worked out very well. I now want you to be the Lord and the boss of my life. I repent of living for me and my ways. I want to live for you and your ways. That's repentance. So we unwrap it by believing, by repenting. And saving faith also responds in confessing. Confession. In Matthew 10, verse 32, Jesus said, Every, Everyone therefore who shall confess to me before man, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. You see, faith, unashamedly, at all times, no matter who we're with, no matter what the cost is, by the way, the context of Matthew ten thirty-two is being dragged before synagogue rulers and being arrested and beaten and threatened, right? Faith unashamedly says, hey, you know what? You know, confession Jesus is what some of those Christians did years ago when they knelt on the beach and had their heads chopped off by the terrorists, right? That's that's confession Jesus. Say, you know what? I love Jesus. I follow Jesus. I love him. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. It means going and stand public with our faith, right? I confess Jesus. He's my Lord, all right? So we unwrap it by believing by repenting by confessing and saving faith also responds in baptism the word baptism is used 80 times in the New Testament it's the Greek word baptizo which means to dip plunge or immerse and that's why in Maple Grove when we baptize we we immerse because that's what the word means and that's what we see people doing in the New Testament now I want to take a A little bit of time to look at what the Bible teaches us about baptism, all right? Which sometimes can be, right, an issue of controversy, right? Uh, It's not controversial in the Bible. It's controversial, uh, you know, in our thinking maybe. A few things to keep in mind in regards to baptism. Baptism is not a tradition of the church. It's a command and promise of God. And the church didn't make it up. It's a command and a promise of God. Jesus commanded it, and there's a promise that comes with it. Baptism is not about joining a church. It's about uniting with Christ. Right? You're not baptizing a church. You're baptizing Christ. Baptism is not a parental decision. It's a personal decision. Everyone in the New Testament that was baptized is someone they believed and they were baptized. And so that's a personal decision. You believe. You repent. You confess. It's a personal decision. Um, you don't have to be worthy to be baptized. You, know, you don't have to get your life straightened out before you can be baptized, right? I don't normally take a bath in order to take a bath, right? You know, I don't really get cleaned up to take a bath. That's the reason I'm taking the bath is because I need cleaning up. Um, this one's really important. No verse can mean less than what it says, but it can mean more in light of other scripture. I'll show you what I mean by that. I'll give you an example. We just read this verse earlier. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. All right? That has to mean that, right? That verse has to be true. But it says nothing about believing, does it? It says nothing about repenting, right? But we know those things are true. So no verse can be less than what it says or else we're saying that verse isn't true. (laughs) Right? we say we don't believe it. Take it out of the Bible, right? But well, we're going to edit that out. So it can't mean less than what it says, but it can mean more. We know that you can't just repent. You've got to believe in who Jesus is, right? You've got to be willing to confess him, right? So that's important to keep in mind. And what I want to do right now is just walk through some passages from the Bible, our authority on all things, including our salvation. And let it, and for the most part, I'll just let it do its living and active, penetrating thing. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Jesus is talking to his guys before he's leaving. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. How do I do that? How do I make a disciple? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus said in Mark chapter 16 verse 16 whoever believes and is baptized will be saved but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now a few verses from the book of Acts. The important thing about the book of Acts is the only the only book in the Bible where we see men and women lost men and women coming to Christ through the preaching of the gospel is the book of Acts. Right? You know the Gospels are about Jesus' birth, death, life, and resurrection. The rest, besides Acts, the rest of the New Testament was written to Christians or to churches, right? So the book of Acts is history, and we see people hearing the Gospel for the first time and responding to the Gospel. Very significant book. And the first time the Gospel is preached is in Acts chapter 2. And Peter preaches a sermon, convinces those listening the thousands gathered at the temple that they just killed God's Son, the Messiah they were waiting for. He writes, therefore, let all Israel be short of this. God, make this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And we heard this. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? <laughs> we're, we're in trouble. Peter replied, repent to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He goes on, the promise... This promise that when you repent or are baptized, your sins are forgiven and you receive the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many of the words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. Which means some didn't accept it, which is kind of sad. And about 3,000 were added to the number that day. In Acts chapter 8. Philip is in Samaria performing miracles and preaching the gospel. We read these words. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. A few verses later in Acts chapter 8, Philip is um, God sent Philip to this Ethiopian eunuch who was just leaving Jerusalem worshiping. He was reading Isaiah 53 about the lamb being led to the slaughter. doesn't know what it means. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture, Isaiah 53, and told him the good news about Jesus. We don't know what he preached, but we know what part of it was, because look what follows. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water, why shouldn't I be baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And replied, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And they gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. In Acts chapter 16, Paul goes to a place where people had gathered to worship God and to pray by a river, and he shared the gospel. One of those listening, we read, was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message when she and the members of her household were baptized she invited them into her home. You you see the pattern here? They hear the word, they believe the word, they repent, they confess, and they're baptized. Later in Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in jail. You know the story. You know, they're in shackles, they're praising God, earthquake comes, doors fly open, jailer freaks out, he's going to kill himself, thinking, everybody left, and if my prisoners are gone, I'm going to take my own life. They stop him. The jailer calls for the lights, rush in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas he then brought them out and asked them sirs what must I do to be saved they replied believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved can't mean less than that right right that's got to be true but can mean more in light of other scripture then they spoke the word of the Lord to him why because he didn't know anything he didn't know who Jesus was right he, he, he never heard the gospel or he's a gentile he's a Roman. he never knew who Jesus was then he spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all his others in the household. Don't, again, we don't know what they spoke, but we get an idea of what some of it was. Because that hour of the night, the Gerald took them and washed their wounds, and immediately he and his family were what? Were baptized. In Acts 18, Paul is in Corinth preaching the gospel. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshiper God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him. Believed and were baptized. In Acts twenty two sixteen, 16, Paul is at the home of a guy named Ananias. This is three days after he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's been blind three days. He's been fasting three days. He was convinced who Jesus was. And Ananias says to him, says to P- Apostle Paul, And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Now, it can't mean less than that, right? That's got to be true. But we know you got to believe too, right? And you got to repent and you got to confess. Those are things that Paul had already done. So he was telling them to do the next thing that Paul needed to do. And here are just a couple of the many verses about baptism in the rest of the New Testament in the letters written to Christians. Romans 6, 3 and 4. All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, the very thing that saves us. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order to that, right, here's why, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, right, in order that we too may live a new life. That's why I love to say, bury it with Christ and arise to live a new life. Buried with Christ. And I got that when I was in San, well, Lemon Grove Christian Church in San Diego, San Diego California, uh, when we are when Judy was getting cancer treatments in Tijuana, and we went to church, and the first Sunday there, there was an 80-year-old guy baptizing a gang member, ex-gang member into Christ. And I watched the old dude go, buried with Christ, arise and live a new life. I go, wow, that's sweet. I like that. I like that picture. That's beautiful. And then Peter writes this. In this water, the waters of the flood that saved Noah and his family by washing away a wickeder world, this water of the flood symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. And he said, hey, there's no magic in the water, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It, or baptism, right, saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We've all sinned and make mistakes, and we're all saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, a gift that we unwrap, if you will, by believing, by repenting, by confessing, and by being baptized in the Christ. Listen, finding freedom from our sins and mistakes is really the reason for Christmas. If we did not sin and make mistakes, and if God was not a God of grace, there would be no Christmas. Salvation is the reason for Christmas. We all need salvation because we all sin, we all make mistakes, and we're all saved by grace through faith. And I think of all the ways we celebrate Christmas, I think these are three of the favorite ways that God likes for us to celebrate Christmas, right? I only had two there. A new one came up this morning when my alarm went off, okay? Uh, uh, Here's one way is when, right, Celebrating the salvation we already have, right? I mean, like, celebrating the fact that, man, I was lost. I had a debt I could never pay. I was under God's wrath, and God took all that away. God nailed the written code that was against me, nailed it to the cross. I am saved. I am free. I'm forgiven. The burden is gone, and I am headed home. Celebrate what Christ did. Sin, you don't owe me. No sin, you're not greater than God's grace. Get out of my face. I'm not condemned. I bear guilt and shame no more. Right? God says, hey, that's a great way to celebrate Christmas. Another way would be that if we have never surrendered to the gift, we've never unwrapped the gift by believing, repenting, confession, and being baptized— I have a young lady being baptized on Tuesday. You know, she's going to finish unwrapping that gift on Tuesday. God would think, hey, that's pretty cool, right, that you're receiving this gift. And by the way, our baptistry is warm and clean. And I cleaned it on, on Wednesday, and I checked the water. It's nice, right? It is nice and warm. Not too warm, but just really perfect. And then I think the third way that hit me this morning, and it should have been on there, Right? of celebrating Christmas is sharing the good news with someone who's lost, taking that risk, right? Because they're good people. We all know a lot of good people, don't we? We know good people that, you know what? Hey, would you take care of my dog and house while we're gone? Here's the key to my house. We're like, they're good people. They get your mail, right? When you're sick, they bring you over food, right? Right? Maybe you work with them, they're always on time, always looking for ways to help out, right? They're good moms, they're good dads, right? But without Jesus, they're still lost, right? I and mean, we can look at maybe the, you know, the homeless drug addict on the street and say, wow, you know, or the guy in prison, right? Oh, well, they're lost. But there's a lot of good people that are lost, a lot of people that we know that are. And so I think God would say, man, if you all would just be like the shepherds this Christmas, or every day, if you would just share what you know and what you've seen, what you experienced because let me tell you, a lot of people you know don't realize they need a Savior, right? Has anybody in here, raise your hand if you thought about your need to, well, you probably have because you have a mask on, right? You know, I would say if you thought about your need to breathe, you're like, yeah, I have thought about it a lot, but I haven't thought about it one time, but if you take my head and dunk it under water, all of a sudden realize, I need to breathe. I need to breathe all along, right? So in a way, we got to find a way to stick our friend's head underwater and realize, hey, I know you think you're good and you're okay, but guess what? You can't breathe without Jesus, amen? Finding freedom from our sins and mistakes is the reason for Christmas. Would you pray with me? God, we love you. God, I, I pray that we would celebrate Christmas. And for those of us who are saved by your grace, God, help us. As we sing this song, include this service, as we, and, and, and not in and just a moment, hold in our hands emblems of that that enabled us to have the greatest gift ever given salvation and forgiveness of our sins. God, help us to sing and worship and celebrate our freedom freedom from our sin, freedom from our mistakes. Death and sin no longer have a hold on us. And God, I I pray for anyone in this room, and I pray for anyone listening online today or later, God, if they have not yet surrendered to you in in belief and confessing and repentance and baptism, Lord, Lord, that they they not put it off any longer, that they just simply do what your word says, right? If faith is simply doing what your word says, marching around a city seven times, doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but the walls came down, right? Dipping in a Jordan, dipping in a dirty river, seven times to have leprosy taken away. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's what you said, and it works, God. When we obey you, God, Lord, your grace always meets our faith and obedience. I pray for those who just need to do that, and I pray for all of us that are saved that we would be convicted. Lord, to share good news with those around us. Give us wisdom at the right time, the right place, the right way to share with them. But may we not put it off just because they're good people and they're nice and they're kind. Lord, because we want them to have salvation and be with us in heaven. Give us the boldness we need. Lord, thank you for Christmas. I wouldn't want to live without it. In Jesus' name, amen.